you're listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. It was one of the most iconic photos coming out of Vietnam, an era that is really uh, sensitive to me and something that's partial to me being the son of a Vietnam vet. It was a nine-year-old little girl. She was running down a dirt road, dirt road. Many of you would know the picture. She had been burned by one-third of her body. Her arms are out to the right and left of her. She has a face of anguish, of fear, of pain that I can't replicate. In fact, the young girl's completely nude as two soldiers are behind her. Her name is Kim Phuc, and at nine years of age, the South Vietnamese military had mistakenly coordinated a napalm drop upon her village. Napalm being this jelly-like substance, credible pain, third of her body, as I said a moment ago. In fact, parts of the scarring of her body, she would later say, her skin was four times its thickness of normal skin. She would report that holding a purse in later years was difficult, and there was pain in doing the ordinary tasks that you and I would find as just normal. Doctors helped her tremendously. But what helped, what could not be helped, was the anger. She said no doctor could help her with what I quote, the anger inside me was like a hatred, and it was as high, high as a mountain. As we think about anger, she has certainly every right to be angry. A young girl in a village, Buddhist village, playing. She had not picked up a weapon to fight anyone as far as we know. And what is endemic to her is what is so prevalent for us today. In the moments to come, as we just move verse by verse to the book of Ephesians, I want to talk about anger. And we live in an angry age, do we not? I was asking some of our staff earlier, what are some of the things, the triggers of anger? And we talked about, number one, politics. Politics makes people angry. Second thing was mentioned in that room, masks. Masks make people angry. Third thing we said was the Aggies are angry that Texas has been the SEC. I'm going to leave that alone for right now. I didn't hear any whoops on that one. I thought I'd hear a whoop. But anyway, and I thought about those masks, and I thought about our politics. You know, our nation was begun with the Boston Tea Party, right? Taxation without representation. And now we're angry about vaccination without representation. So these are trigger points. But anger is a serious thing. There's a woman here who'll be here today. She's angry with her sister at how the sister, the executor of the state, handled handled this day. She has said in her heart, she's not going to forgive her sister. She's just not going to forgive. There's a man who's angry today himself for chemical abuse, decades of it, the damage it's caused to him and to his family. How do you handle anger, the potent emotion of anger? And the Bible's going to speak to us about the complexity. It's going to speak to us about the the hurt that it can cause. And while the Bible's gonna call upon us to be angry, it's a sin sometimes not to be angry, anger has physiological aspects. About a century ago, a Harvard researcher, a gentleman by the name of Walter Cannon, 
He said, the fight or flight syndrome. This is what happens to you physiologically when you become angry. Respiration deepens, the heart beats more rapidly, arterial pressure rises, blood is shifted from the stomach and the intestines to the heart and the central nervous system and the muscles. The processes in the alimentary canal cease, sugar is freed from reserves in the liver and the spleen contracts and discharges its contents of concentrated corpuscles. He speaks of the adrenaline. He speaks of the marvelous transformations that happen in this fight or flight aspect, the physiological aspects to when we become angry. Again, angry is such a potent emotion. In the moments to come, I want to talk to you about when to be angry, the right modeling of anger, and I want to look at how we're called to be patient with one another. Look with me beginning in verse 26 and 27, what was read a moment ago, what I'm calling the complexity of anger. The Bible says, look at these first words, be angry. Be angry. It does not say Christians do not get angry because they're nice people. It calls upon us to be angry and do not sin. Not all anger is wrong anger. Sometimes it's a sin not to be angry. In fact, we're seeing in this letter of Ephesians how God's character, Christ's character, is to be the disciple's character. And at once we need to realize that God has called us to be angry and to do not sin. In fact, when we think about the model, the model mind, the model heart for us, it is God's mind, God's heart. And oftentimes when it comes to angry, I say, well, I'm angry because that's the way my dad handled it. Or if you were married, you know, the way I'm married, then you'd be angry. If you had the kids I had in my life, if you had the job, we have all these things. But as people who are called by the name of Jesus Christ, we're called to have the mind and the heart of God. I was thinking maybe there might be an amen there. So let me, let me do that again, because I think you missed your chance. As people who are called by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're to have the mind and the heart of God. We have the mind and the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that God is angry. Micah chapter 7. Now, I know many of you don't know that there's a book called Micah in your Bible, but it's still there. It hasn't been taken out. The Bible says this about the anger of God, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity, passing over transgression for the remnant of the inheritance. God, he does not retain his anger forever, but he delights in steadfast love. But the Bible continues, and Jesus, that infamous conversation that he had with Nicodemus where he says, for God so loved the world, that conversation. He goes on to say in verse 36, he said, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And he continues, listen carefully, whoever does not obey the Son does not, shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So Jesus says, if Christ is not your Savior, if Jesus is not your Lord, the wrath of God is on you. It's remaining on you. And that's just a sampling of the passages in your Bible that speak of the anger of God. A lot of times, American Christians, we like to cafeteria style our Bible. We like to cafeteria style it. Uh, that is when Tracy goes through on the cafeteria, she picks out the things she likes. I'm married to Tracy. And the three kids, when they go through, they pick out the things they like. And I pick out the stuff. Everybody's happy, right? And many times we try to treat the Bible just that way, that we cafeteria style it. I pick out the parts I like and I'll leave the other parts for you. 
But the Bible says God is angry. In fact, it's been about three centuries now. A man by the name of Jonathan Edwards, a wig-wearing pastor, got into a town called Enfield, Connecticut on the 8th of July in 1741, a long time ago. And as he's there, he's in the midst of a tremendous movement of God called the First Great Awakening, shaped our nation to this day. A visiting group of preachers, including Edwards, is there that day. Nobody really knows who Edwards is. He's just among all of them. Now, the sermon has gone on to be quite famous. Many, if not most of you, studied this sermon in American literature class. Remember, my coach, you're seeing the notes to Edwards' sermon on the screen. Our coach led us in English. Several years ago, when I was at Yale, that's where this sermon is, I had the privilege of holding his notes in my hands. Now, you say, Pastor, what's the big deal about this? Because Edwards preached a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And in the sermon, he bases everything on the Bible. He does layer upon layer of speaking of the wrath of God and a place called hell. As he approaches the pulpit, he was asked to preach sort of the last minute. People who were there that day said the congregation was thoughtless and vain, hard-hearted people, thoughtless and vain, hard-hearted. And as he's preaching, he uses this powerful imagery. Let me share some of you with it. He begins, he says, our own attempts to avoid hell, this bottomless gulf of hell will not work. Our attempts to avoid hell is like a spider web trying to stop a boulder from coming. Powerful image, isn't it? He goes on, he says, any moment God could take out, snuff out your life, Satan is ready to fall upon you, fell upon the wicked and seize them as their own. And then he, I quote, unconverted men walk over the pit of hell on a rotten bridge. And there are innumerable places where this covering is so weak that they cannot bear their weight, the bridge cannot bear their weight, and these places are not seen. He speaks of the great furnace of the wrath of God. He speaks of the devil and demons as a greedy, hungry lion who seek to seize their prey. Now, Edwards was not a fiery preacher. He, he is not a gesticulating, arm-waving, everyone that said, it was a steady delivery. He was an academic type. And he delivered this message. And you say, Pastor, I still don't get the big deal about this. There's a lot of hell and fire and brimstone kind of preaching. But look what he happens. When he's preaching this message, the congregation that was thoughtless and uncaring began to moan and groan. Observers of the day said it was as if bones were being broke the pain and the groaning that they were going through. It was so overwhelming that he had to stop the sermon on numerous occasions. And the people were asking, what can I do to be saved? Sinners in the hands of angry God, July 8, 1741. Now the times have changed. Today it may be more appropriate to preach God in the hands of angry sinners. Because when this topic is mentioned, the anger of God, the wrath of God, the subject of hell, there's two reactions, and I've pastored here for nine years and pastored for over 20. There's one group, typically they're, they have a little bit more experience. Can I say it that way? A little bit more experience. And they don't think I preach hellfire and brimstone enough. And probably what they're meaning is I don't yell enough. 
probably what they're meaning. I've learned that enough. Um, there's another group that if I but mention this, you're seriously considering getting up and leaving, going to a different church. Now, I want you to pause on both of those for just a second. I want you to pause and consider the following. Your reaction. Your reaction to the anger of God and my reaction to the anger of God, really it doesn't matter as much as whether there's a truth in the Scripture that God is angry. In fact, as believers, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, just the verses ahead of the ones I read a moment ago, the Bible says this, we're to put on the new self, created at the likeness of God in true righteousness. So God is calling us as believers, people who call themselves by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're to put on the new clothes. We're to act as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. What are new clothes? Well, you can't see my heart today, and I can't see yours but I could see what you're wearing. And Jesus is using this, the Bible's using this, Paul is using this metaphor. He's calling upon us, if we name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we are to show on the exterior what's happening on the interior. It's a witness. Now look what happens. After the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 22, after the image and the likeness of God, so to use computer language, I'm to copy and paste the heart of God, the mind of God, into my mind and my heart. Again, you can say, well, it comes to anger issues or whatever. I got this from a dad. I got this from a mom. If you were married like I'm married, if you've got these kids, if you've got this workplace, this is what I got to do. My, put all that aside. I'm to have the mind and the heart of God. That's what verse 22 and verse 23 says. I'm to copy and paste his emotions, and his mind into my life. That's where I'm to go. Have you given a lot of brain cells to the emotional life of God? I have a feeling you haven't. Let me say that again. Have you given a lot of thought into the Father's emotions? We have emotions because he has emotions. He made us in his image. And anger is an emotion. And the Bible says God is angry. Again, God is righteous. Psalm, verse seven, verse, uh, Psalm chapter 7, verse 11. God is a righteous judge who feels indignation every day. Every day he feels this. Or in Romans chapter 1, because there's some people thinking, oh, this whole hellfire and brimstone stuff, that's an Old Testament concept. That's to be thrown away. Romans 1, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness an unrighteousness of men. That's one of those places of all of us, humanity. Now, if you and I were to walk in the throne room of God today, we would never see God put his fist through the drywall in anger. We would never see God pick up a skillet and throw it at an angel. God has never attended an anger management class. Yet, the Bible says, and it's true, it's our baseline, that God is indignant, he is wrathful. By the way, if you think this is an Old Testament concept, I encourage you to read your Bible. Jesus speaks more about the anger of God in hell than any other prophet. And if you think the Old Testament is bloodthirsty, wait till you get to the book of Revelation, there is more wrath there than perhaps all the Old Testament combined. So it's not an Old Testament concept. 
alongside this tremendous love of God is this piece here of the anger of God. When it came to Jesus, I think of three times he was angry. Famously, he was angry with the money changers. In our day and time, perhaps in our church, they would have set up tables exchanging currency, if you will, the American dollar in for a North Richland Hills dollar. And they were making a little bit of money on the side, pocketing it. And he would have walked into those hallways and he would have turned it over and he said, this, this is not to be so. This is to be a house of prayer. I think of the day in Mark, the Gospel of Mark, that the disciples said, keep these children away from him. Jesus was indignant. He said, this isn't gonna happen. A third occasion, the Pharisees, those religious teachers, they didn't like it that he was willing to heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said on one occasion, if an ox had fallen in the ditch, you would take care of it on the Sabbath. If you do it for an ox, would you do it for a human? You say, Pastor, my God, the God I worship is not an angry God, okay? I'm not here to compare my God versus your God because I'm preaching from a book, okay? So I'm not here to do that, but I am here to say, if your God doesn't get angry at certain things, I don't want any part of your God. Your God should be angry at pornography. You know the sexual mess we have in our nation? It's because we're ramped up on pornography. We've got more pornography, pornography prevalent. We have more access to pornography than any other generation in our history. No wonder there's so much abuse of women and rape. If you want a Me Too movement, move it to the computer. Get that junk off there. You should be angry at abortion. There's a judge in Little Rock, I don't know his name, had the privilege of pastoring the state trooper. His 16-year-old daughter had gotten pregnant outside of wedlock. She was not revealed, but she wasn't showing. Mom and dad didn't know. She had gone to Little Rock, got the approval of a judge for an abortion before the state trooper father even knew she was pregnant. That's been more than a decade ago. I'm still angry at that judge for doing that. You should be angry at slumlord. You should be angry at drug trafficking. You should be angry at those who oppose the downtrodden. There is a time to get angry. The Bible says God himself is angry. That's Bible fact number one. If you're gonna have the heart of God and the mind of God, it's not just about being nice. There are some things that should make you angry. This shouldn't happen. By the way, if you were to walk in that throne room, the Bible says God is completely at peace. He can feel anger and have this complete at peace at the same time. It's an incredible way in which you go about this. In fact, I like the way John Piper puts it. And I quote, the hurricane of God's wrath is somehow swallowed up in this great calm of the divine mind. Like the firing of cosmic pistons while the engine idles smoothly, quietly. Like the churning of a massive generator far inside the dam sustained by the great reservoir of deep, calm water. So again, God's not throwing skillets. God's not having a temper tantrum. He's not putting his fist through the walls of heaven and he's not running angels out. And Jesus doesn't have to say, don't approach him this day because this isn't a good day for him. There is a complete composure and peace over him while this. Pastor, that doesn't make sense. Really? We're talking about the infinite mind of God. Did you think it would make sense to you? Nor does it me. And yet this is how the Bible points this. God is angry. Secondly, the Bible says God is slow to anger. 
Exodus chapter 34, among other places. The Bible says God is slow to anger. And you and I are called to be slow to anger. In fact, I thought about this. I thought about the grill that I've owned. I had a two-burner grill from 18 years ago. I remember the day we bought it, 2004. I had 10% off at a local department store. Got in and went, got my grill. And we've had that grill for 18 years or so, and we've, it's, it's had its better days and it's had its worst days. I, I got on YouTube. I figured out how to pull all the burners out, put stainless steel in. My wife, she was really happy to be married to a, a husband that actually knew some things at that moment. So, but despite that, despite my acumen of all things fixing, it still wasn't burning as hot as I wanted it to. It wouldn't burn as quickly. So thankfully, I got online one day and I got a great deal on a four burner grill. Now I have two tremendous grills in the back and we even had both of them fired. It was just fantastic, it was awesome. Now, which of those two grills are you? See, the new grill burns hot, burns long, gets up to five, 600 degrees in no time. I don't have to wait on that. Press the button, we've got heat, baby, we've got heat. The old grill, kind of have to blow and you have to pray and, you know, sort of do a rain dance. And maybe, maybe that old thing will get to 150, 200 degrees, right? Which of those two grills are you when it comes to anger? Are you the one that burns hot, fast, long? Do you get there super, or do you one that, like the heart of God? His wick is slow. His wick is slow. God calls upon us, listen carefully, we're to have the heart and the mind of God in all emotions, including anger. Including anger. Men, husbands, if your wife had the freedom to speak right now, is she elbowing you? Is she pointing to you? I don't know about you men, but sometimes when I don't know how to emote, I go to anger. I was angry this week. Tracy said, what are you angry about? Because you're taking out on that boy. I said, leave me alone. <laughs> leave me alone. I got this, right? We, we emote anger. Are you an angry husband, angry father? Be careful, the Bible says, with your anger, the complexity of it. We're called to this new self as believers in Jesus Christ. And all of our emotions, we're in this section about how to work hard, how to be generous, how the Word of God calls upon us to be honest, how the Word of God calls upon us to handle our anger. And again, we're to handle it carefully, have a slow anger. We're to grow into this. In fact, the Bible says in verse 26, do not let the sun go down on your anger. So look at secondly with me, and just very quickly, I wanna talk about how to take care with your anger. Verse 26 and 27, how to take care with your anger. Yes, there is a time to get angry. But that time that you're to be angry is short. You and I are not to stay on anger. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Anger is a dangerous emotion. You should not nurse it. Whatever is making you angry, deal with it as quickly as possible. Find the devices, find the mechanisms that you need to do. Recuse yourself from the situation if possible. But don't stay angry for long. Second, taking care of your anger, I want to remind you of verse 27. The Bible says, this, your anger, is an opportunity for Satan to put a foothold, to take an opportunity to get into your life. Whether you believe it or not, the Bible teaches 
there are supernatural beings. And some of the supernatural beings are evil supernatural beings. And they know how to get your anger going. And they know how to get your sin nature revved up high, get that RPM up there at 6,000, 7,000. And they're going to take advantage to knowing what makes you angry. Now, a lot of you would like to, you've learned this in Bible class somewhere, you like to call your anger righteous anger. Okay? I like that too. I like to think when I'm on hold with AT&T and their customer service for three and four hours, that all my anger is righteous anger. Yeah. You know what I found out about me? I found that what makes me the angriest the most generally is what inconveniences me. Just confession time. Just confession time. When I'm at a certain department stores and there's like 50 cash registers and two people working, I like to think that is righteous anger. Here's a good sentence for all of us. Righteous anger is really elusive. It's really elusive. You're probably not as much righteous anger as just good old plain angry. And if you're like me, southern male, you can do redneck well. The Bible says first, when you're angry, have it a short duration. Number two, be careful. Satan's watching that. Righteous anger is very elusive. Lastly, the Bible says this, Romans chapter 12, listen carefully. The Bible says we're to not seek for vengeance. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. Behold, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I want to remind you of a couple of things here in conclusion. I want all of your just beautiful, shining faces right here. Satan wants to convince you that you're in the revenge business, the retaliation business. You are not God. Lesson number one, you are not God. His is retaliation. You and I don't have the eye for justice, the feeling of justice like he does. Overwhelmingly, our Bible says, vengeance is his, not mine. And I need to back off there. Think about how popular movies like John Wick or The Equalizer, we went from Denzel to Queen Latifah, or go back in the day, the 1970s, Charles Bronson, revenge, retaliation. It appeals to a segment of people. Be careful, you are not God. Satan wants to convince you to step into his throne. You do not have the credentials to do this well. In fact, God's calling on us, if possible, to live at peace with all people. Be slow to anger. It's a sin sometimes not to get angry. When you are angry, make it a short peace. And if it's not the way you want it, revenge is not your call. I wonder about you today. I wonder about the bitterness that you have. I wonder about the pain that you've gone through from your parents and the abuse. What are you holding on to today? I began this message with a young lady named Kim. Kim again was nine years of age. She was napalmed in a village 
in Vietnam. Kim soon discovered a Bible. And in time, someone invited her to church. And 14 years after that iconic photo was taken, Kim trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. The woman who said, my anger and my hate is as high as a mountain, would soon say, Jesus helped me to learn to forgive my enemies. In fact, she met her enemy. She met a name, man by the name of John Plummer. John Plummer was in Washington, D.C. and speaking at a convention. Plummer was one of the men who had orchestrated and was the architect of that napalm drop, one of the men. He writes of the meeting where he met Kim. She held out her arms to me and embraced me. And all I could say was, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Over and over again at the same time, she was saying, it's all right. It's all right, I forgive, I forgive. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.